This week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. They go there to work. They go there to do their committees. They go there to write bills and work on arcane issues you're not even thinking about, but probably uh, affect somebody in their district or some, you know, issue that they ran. Because this is like I'm here to work on agriculture policy, but that's none of that's happening. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. The stakes could not be higher, but does this country have the leaders it needs in place to handle the challenges it faces? We have the Flyover Country with Scott Jennings staff in place. By the way, the fact that you had to glance at the graphic on the monitor to A, remember the name of the show, and B, remember my name was potentially your finest moment as host by of the, this panel. By the way, what <laughs> tonight we have the... What, um, who's this? The thing what? with the people. What, he, what's, what Scott just said is absolutely true. <laughs> he did. He looked. He started talking, and then he kind of looked over at the sign. And he was like, oh, yeah, flyover country with Scott and uh, the other... The one guy, yeah. Larry, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been gone. Oh, I'm, man. I am embarrassed, but that's fine. <laughs> Hi, Scott. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Joe. Yeah. You're still better put together than the house. Yeah. The house. Well, but most I, of what's going on. My point still stands. <laughs> that's right. My point. Hey, great job. I was traveling a lot, yep. but I caught you on the CNN. Yeah. And among other places, in fact, I think The Daily Show, but that's a whole other story. I did make The Daily Show. Yeah, this yeah. That, that, that's not family appropriate. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But, uh, okay, so I guess I didn't realize that that was as NSFW. I, I just it's just a phrase, and I don't. And then when I but people have been saying, "Whoa, you got a little close to the edge there." Now I I, I don't know. It's cable. You can say whatever. I mean, I can take my shirt off. You know, it's cable. <laughs> like, <laughs> now, I didn't see that portion of it. <laughs> Late night at Cannon. Yeah. Oh yeah, we never know CNN Digital, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's a good point. Well, thank you. It was uh, this was yeah. the first time. I'd actually broadcast from the Capitol. So they sent us over to the uh, Cannon Office building, which has a balcony. I interned there. Yep. And it overlooks. There's a plaque. And it overlooks. <laughs> <laughs> <It> over- <laughs> had to get my quick thing in there. Yeah. But the, this balcony overlooks um, the outside and overlooks the Capitol Dome. Yeah. It's like you can see it in the background. And I was out there with Dana Bash and Ashley Allison. And one day we had my friend Doug High, a Republican mm-hmm. operative from North Carolina. And then one day we had former Congressman Charlie Dent. Uh, who came by, and uh, and then so I was there Tuesday, Wednesday, and then today we were supposed to go over, and then they canceled every. By the way, we were recording on Thursday, and so they were we were supposed to go over. So we went and got makeup and the whole schmear, and then <laughs> and then we never went because they canceled the vote, mm-hmm. and uh, so we sat around and nothing was happening, and then they sent me back to Kentucky. And then right before I walked in to record this podcast tonight, it sounds like I'm going back to D.C. Well, is that, <laughs> is that partially because – and we'll talk – let's just – by the way, uh, in a moment here, we'll talk uh, about the uh, the president's speech, the second Oval Office speech, primetime address uh, since taking office, about the – kind of an amalgamation of issues, uh, really, I guess, mainly Israel, Hamas, Ukraine, Russia. Yeah. And then we'll also talk about the governor's race and the uh, the, the election overall, less than – Three weeks away here in Kentucky, but Scott, I do want to st- uh, stay with you in D.C. Yeah, because I really uh, just enjoy getting that sense of just the what the vibe is 
you were there, you were in the hallways, you were in the Capitol, yeah. you were talking to members of Congress. There were people just just the it's 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 an office space, you know. And, yeah. and, and so I'm just curious about what is the and, by, and as we're recording this, by the way, I guess uh, Jim Jordan has announced he wants to do a third speaker vote on Friday. Friday morning. Which so, is destined to fail, but go ahead. Yes. Uh, what is the vibe? That's a great question. Well, first of all, it was an interesting week. Uh, I hung around the studio a lot in the Capitol, so I met a lot of people, mm-hmm. including Nancy Pelosi. Wait, wait, wait. Hey. Wait, wait. I met the former, I met the Speaker Emerita or whatever. Ta. Yeah. Is that her name? Is that, is that her actual title? They granted her the title of Speaker Emerita. We're just making up stuff right now. You can have Speaker Pro Tem, Speaker Emerita. All we know is she doesn't have an office in the Capitol anymore. That, that is right. true. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bring that up. Source subject. Yeah, I bet it okay, is. Well, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to the blow-by-blow blow and the vibe, but how did you come about, I guess, through CNN? Yep. I was there today waiting to see what was going to happen, and she had an interview on Inside Politics uh, with Dana Bash uh, in the noon hour, and so I just happened to be there, and she comes in, had a few staffers and stuff with her, and I'm going to tell you something. She could not have been nicer. She could not have been more gracious. Uh, it was a, it was a really interesting encounter, and so she walked in, and, and she was very solicitous of the handful of us that were standing, like, and, you know, hey, what are you guys talking about? And so I said, well, Madam Speaker, I said that since you're standing here, I have to ask you. And this was this was when the whole plan to have Patrick McHenry installed as like assistant to the regional manager was going on. <laughs> yeah. He's got and, the bow tie for it. Yeah, and uh, and I said, well, I have to ask you, as a former speaker, uh, do you think this is going to fly? Do you think this is constitutional? And she said, well, you know, Scott, um, I tell you what I'm going to say when I go out here. I think if they want to make him the speaker, they should just make him the speaker. I don't know that this is actually, uh, you know, part of the way it's supposed to work. I think if you want someone to have the powers, you should just make them the speaker. Right. And that's what she said on TV. So it was an interesting encounter. I also ran into Tim Scott, friend of the pod, this week. Oh, yeah. He came in early in the week and uh, was hanging around and uh, did an interview as well. Uh, and I ran into a lot of different members. But I'll tell you the vibe I picked up, uh, guys, was there's just mass frustration. Because, you know, most members of Congress are not famous. They do not spend most of their time on cable news. You don't really know their names. They go there to work. They go there to do their committees. They go there to write bills and work on arcane issues you're not even thinking about but probably uh, affect somebody in their district or some you know issue that they ran because this is like I'm here to work on agriculture policy but that's none of that's happening and so I just sensed a lot of real frustration also there's like a vibe of like um uh there's just a feeling that things aren't fair mm-hmm. and by, and by that I mean you know we're we're now voting on Jim Jordan over and over and over again he had fewer votes than Scalise, who did not get to go to the floor, who had fewer votes than McCarthy, who kind of gave up too. So it's like we got the least popular guy, at least among those three, and he's just being able to essentially hijack the floor for and saying, I'm going to hijack it for as long as I can. And uh, and so there's, there's, just, there's just a lot of frustration from the grinders. Like I, I think most members of Congress I would put in this bucket, Kevin, they're grinders. Yeah. They're not famous. They're not wealthy. They're not, uh, you know, they're, they're not part of the what I would even call the the ruling elite of this country. They are just legislators, and they're there for policy reasons. And they are they. I think the grinders are feeling very, very frustrated with their life choices. And, and you see some of those 
leak out into the news. Uh, you know, they keep having these multi-hour whole conference meetings where yep. they get 220 knuckleheads together and they just try to talk it all out. And, you know, they're shouting. They're they're long. Everyone comes out all pissed off. And Oh, you know who else I ran into? Morgan McGarvey. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> Louisville's congressman. And he walked up and I was like, well, well, if it isn't, Louisville's chief arsonist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was explaining to me, you know, why he's been playing there. But we had a nice chat. You know, it's funny. It's hard not to like Morgan. Like, right. I've liked him for most of his adult life, and we've always gotten along. I don't agree one bit with his vote on McCarthy or how he's explained it. Uh, but we had a nice exchange of ideas. Um, so, I don't know. It, it was... Um, it was kind of an eye-opening week. Just you can feel just there's a sense that things are off the rails. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of frustration. So you you didn't pick up a hopeful or optimistic vibe from anybody really in any in, in either party. It's a it's a symptom of a a deeper sickness within the Republican Party the way I see it. And it has to do with it's 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 what Donald Trump's era. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just say the era versus Trump himself, because I think some of those divisions were already starting before Trump took office. But it's it is this this reckoning moment, you know, for these different divisions of the party, and what we've talked about many times here, and and that is the what what compromise is acceptable and what compromise is somehow uh, antithetical to your to your movement or to your people. Well, let me let me let me tell you guys a story for you to comment on on that front. So, they had a Republican conference meeting today uh which turned in by some press accounts into a screaming match and there was a lot of hard feelings, but and I heard this from a source in the room. So, this is not me imagining. I I know this happened. One of the hateful eight that voted to get rid of McCarthy went up to the microphone Bob Good of Virginia went up to the microphone and they were debating and discussing this plan to make McHenry the temporary speaker. And he said, the only way this passes is if Republicans join with Democrats and that can't be allowed. (laughs) Didn't that just happen? He was one of the eight Republicans (laughs) that joined with Democrats to put the Republicans in, in, the person I spoke to said, you know, there didn't seem to be an awareness right. <laughs> of how hypocritical this was. There was no shame. There was no guilt. Uh, and so that that's where we are. I mean, you had a group of people. I said on the radio the other day, I did an interview with our friend um, Leland Conway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and it was like, right, as was, and I said, imagine that you had won a contest and you were just a, a passenger on the space shuttle. And you got up into space and you said, boy, the pilot of this space shuttle, I really hate the color of his jacket. I'm going to murder him. And then you said, does anyone else here know how to fly? <laughs> and you quickly realized that they don't. That's what these people did. Yeah. Right. They murdered the pilot of the space shuttle without any plan whatsoever on how to get this thing back down to Earth. And it's, it's crazy. So is there any idea you know they they voted on jordan twice then there was this pro tem empowerment thing they're going to go back and vote for jordan again what's next i mean they can't just does anybody have any idea well are they going to go through committee chairs you know when does uh well virginia fox get her shot at it i mean some that's the thing can anybody get 217 votes yeah and 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 by the way 
this can't go on forever because they cannot legislate without a speaker, and we're less than 30 days from when the government shuts down. So something has to happen. And I still, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm like in fairy tale land. I still think this may end back with Kevin McCarthy. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm wrong. I just think, remember, of all the Republicans who've been voted on for this position in the last two weeks, he got the most Republican votes. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Is, is there any sense of what he's going around doing? Last I heard, he well, is telling people to vote for Jordan. Yes. he. Well, I think if you want to be speaker, you've got to be doing that right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you've got to be, like, I'm part of the, the team, team, like, whatever. Uh, but it's obvious Jordan doesn't have it. And he met this, on Thursday afternoon, he apparently met with the 22 holdouts, and they told him in unequivocal terms, this is over. We are not coming your way. And I'll tell you what else. This bullying, mm-hmm. the threats, all this crap. Sean not Hannity on, producers. Not only has it hardened the hearts of, <laughs> uh, of this 22 against Jordan, but there are other people, I'm telling you, there are other people who are voting for Jordan who are mortified because they're friends with these guys. And, you know, by the way, it hasn't just, this is not new. Like, this is like an ongoing thing. You know, you get out of line and all of a sudden the the rabble comes for you. Mm -hmm. There's pent-up frustration on this, but to have people calling uh, one member's wife, threatening her, threatening a, a girl at a school who's the daughter of a member... It's ridiculous. It's crazy. So, but let's, as far as strategizing this, is there a way out for the hateful eight, as you call them, or anyway, or for, for the for the Jordan, is there a way out for, for them to, to go somewhere else? At this point, they're, they're already in, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's hard for them to extricate themselves from this. This is a, this is a fight, not just for a person. This is more about the entire movement is at stake the way they see it. So my question is, is there, you know, give somebody an out, give somebody, or, or can you, I'm not saying buy them off, but there's all, there's all kind of bargains. We saw that happen back in January when yeah. Matt Gates was ultimately caved. You know, I don't know what I was promised then. He, of course, said that later on that Kevin McCarthy gave that up. But I guess my, my, my question is, is, you know, is there a, is there anybody else trying to cook up some other kind of a third path here? Well, First of all, I don't think they can be bought off because they don't want anything, including, and most importantly, they don't want to be in the majority. Yeah. That's what I've learned about these people. Mm. They don't actually want the responsibility of being the majority party. They are, they are far more comfortable as peanut gallery than ringmaster. Right. And, and, that, that's, and that's, it, it, it explains everything about their actions. They would rather be bomb throwers. They would rather be sneering at the politically lead in the establishment, but you say, well, okay, that's fine, but now we got to run the place. They don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. So right now they're hostage takers, right? And so it's just a matter of who's going to pay off the ransom. The question I have, and it goes back to your theory, Scott, that are just imagining that Kevin McCarthy might come back. I guess the, the, the key group of people that would make that difference I guess would be the problem solvers caucus. <laughs> no, yeah, but some of them, but they endorse Jordan, like Dusty Johnson. But I'm saying is, if enough Democrats well, they ousted McCarthy in the first place. Well, my point being is, if they would okay do over, and so, because all this also boils down to the fact that people like Morgan McGarvey, who talks a good game in terms of you know um, you know do the right thing for America, yet you know wouldn't he he, he voted to boot McCarthy out. So my question is, are there enough people 
who, because of the government shutdown, because of Israel, because of Ukraine, because of the border crisis, because of fentanyl, because of all the other things that we're concerned about, are there enough people who can say, fine? And, and, what, and, I don't, and, and that would actually be McHenry and to, and, and, and to what Nancy Pelosi said to you. You know, so let, it, let, let him do it. Well, but so here's what got me in trouble on TV the other day. Are you telling me we went through this whole thing? These eight people went through this whole thing. It doesn't matter what we went through. It just it's just to, to get rid now. of McCarthy so we can put in McCarthy's best friend. I understand your point, but I guess what I'm, I'm saying is <laughs> I mean I you, agree with you, you but it's yeah, just like you, that. What you, I mean to it's, them, it's, it's like it's not oh. logical. I mean you couldn't you couldn't write this as a as a you know, a guidebook. It, w- it wouldn't be the path that you would take. It but you have to forget everything that happened before and only look at what's you have now. And figure out what's the best way out. It's like golf. You got to forget the last shot. <laughs> yeah. You just got to hit the it, next one. It really is. Well, but McHenry, I, you know, he didn't ask to be put in this position. Like, he, you know, the only reason he's in this position is because he was. So I guess now after 9 11, the Speaker of the House designates a group of people that if something happens for continuity of government, yeah. something happens to me. Uh, you're, you know, the, we, I've got a list of people here who, who I've designated as emergency. That's it. That's the only reason he's in this. But it wasn't because he stepped up and took power in a vacuum. He was on a list that was designed to withstand a terrorist attack. I, I will say this in general. I don't know what both of your thoughts are on this. Maybe you've already stated them. Is uh, I just am awfully uncomfortable with super constitutional or unconstitutional, you know, uh, actions of convenience to say, well, because there's no one else to do it, let's go ahead and 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 just pretend like. Yeah. This is okay. Yeah. It's a terrible precedent. Yeah. Because yeah. essentially you're granting the powers, you, you are granting constitutional powers, third in line to the presidency, to someone who didn't actually get elected to the constitutional officer position. I mean, the Constitution says they shall elect a speaker. Mm-hmm. Now, it also says they shall set their own rules. It just I just think it's a terrible precedent. Like, what if you wake up one day and say, well, let's, let's, let's grant Kevin the powers of the speaker. Let's grant Joe the powers of the speaker. Like, are we going to treat the powers of this office so flippantly? That's one thing Pelosi said to me today. She's like, you know, the powers of this office are vast. Yeah. They're vast, and they're and it's important. Do they, can, you know, can someone in a temporary job get a get an intelligence briefing? Are they part of the gang of A? Like, I don't know. And knowing, I mean, we don't even know who else is on this list. Like, if you go past McHenry, I mean, you, you always talk about how the Speaker doesn't even have to be a member of the House. Right. What if it's somebody who's not even elected? The other question for you, Scott, is, and you and I talked about this late a couple nights ago. Uh, okay, beyond Jordan, Scalise, McCarthy, who am I forgetting? Uh, McHenry. Is there a, a a relatively short list of people who would be considered to be legitimate candidates for speaker? Well, you've heard Tom Cole, yeah, uh, you know, who's kind of an old bull and and been around a long time. You've heard Tom Emmer. Emmer. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know if any of these guys can get the votes. I mean, really, when when you start to talk about other names, it comes back down to well, will these eight people allow it? They would mm-hmm. not allow Kevin McCarthy. And then if it's somebody more of the Jordan persuasion, will these twenty two allow it? And that's been what Jordan has been banking on is that people will just fold in the face of no other alternative. But obviously, these twenty two have shown more fortitude than people thought they were going to. And and by the way, the group is growing. Yeah, and I think they're strategizing to. Have more people join their their group voting no every time just to show that he's weakening in support. You know, it was crazy this week. So, like Jordan, when he was trying to wrangle these votes, started telling people, "Well, I won't stand in the way of Ukraine. 
You know, we'll do yeah. get a deal on that, and maybe we'll do a CR until April, and we'll pass a farm bill. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> we're going to do a long term CR, and we're going to do something for Ukraine. That's what they threw McCarthy out yeah. for. <laughs> for for <laughs> honestly, it's it, none. It's like none of this makes sense. It is literally like we're living in Toontown. Like we're the, the physics here do, are not real. So I'm going to ask the question that I'm surprised Joe hasn't gotten to yet. Okay, here you go. looking forward to the next election. Are people going to remember this? Is this is this you know the end of the Republican House majority? Uh, and the only thing I'm hanging my hat on right now, Carl Rove had a great piece in in the Wall Street Journal, is that as unpopular as House Republicans are and all of this are, Democrats are worse. The polls still show the majority of Americans trust this House majority, as cantankerous as it is, to solve some of the tough problems. And to what extent? And I think there, I think there are uh, consequences for government shutdowns, and 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 that that can be uh, uh, attached to a party. But that said, people generally don't vote for Congress; they vote for the local congressman. So I don't, I don't, I think yeah. so at least, you know, yeah. and so I don't well, know if they're, I, but I think if they're that a, tactical about it. But I think in a presidential year, so much of how people vote is going to be determined by the top of the ticket. That's the thing. It's not a midterm. It's mm-hmm. a presidential coming up. So the sort of the general flow, but it's going to be, a, I think, a close election. And, uh, and, you know, some of these Republicans who are not for Jordan are in these districts uh, that, that Biden, Biden won. won, but narrow. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. I don't know, man. I, my view is Biden is in huge trouble. By the way, I wanted to bring this up since you did. This got lost in the shuffle this week because everything was happening, but ABC News conducted a survey this week, and it was an issue survey. Mm-hmm. And they they um, they uh, uh, kind of did a deep dive. So, first of all, every single issue they tested, Biden was underwater, meaning more people disapproved than approved. Let me start with immigration border security. Net... Minus 44. He had a 26% <laughs> approval. Oh, my Jeez. gosh. Inflation, minus 40. Gun violence, minus 33. Crime, minus 31. Iran, minus 29. Economy, minus 25. Climate change, minus 18. Abortion, minus 19. Ukraine, minus 15. Israel, Hamas, minus 13. I mean... Everywhere from minus 13 to minus 44, that's the opinion of how Joe Biden is doing on all these. I mean, that's pretty much the top issues in the country. Not a single one is he within sniffing distance of just 50-50. It's crazy. So when you talk about politically, all the Republicans have to do is sort of walk and chew gum at the same time. But here's my question. and I'm not sure whether we're walking or chewing gum right now. I don't know the answer to the question, which is always dangerous to ask. Does anybody fare well in polls? Is anybody getting a, a high favorability or positive? Donald Trump has beaten Joe Biden in a lot of swing state polls right now. Well, that's what the morning consult poll yeah. uh, Axios came out with this morning. He was when well, they surveyed seven swing states, and he was leading in five. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's head to head. But I'm saying, does anybody? All, all elections are head to head. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying in your favor, in, in your in your rankings or your ratings on these particular issues, would. I'd be inter- I'd be curious to see. Of course, he's not in office right now. How people rate Donald Trump on those issues? Great question. But he's the incumbent, yeah. and so he's being judged. Right. You know, in theory, this election ought to be a judgment on how did you do. Mm-hmm. The judgment is pretty clear right now. He do terrible. And and, 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 and while people are experiencing this and feeling, you know, yeah. things aren't going well, he's going out saying everything is great. We're, in we're the, historically winning. And in the morning consult poll you brought up, Kevin, they also looked at the. Uh, 
Bidenomics and yeah. the economy message just getting killed on this total. Whoever thought of that? This is like the modern equivalent of hey, hop in this tank and wear this helmet. Like the the whole Bidenomics branding it, running ads on it, mm-hmm. putting it in all the president's speeches. Talk about your all time rake stepping. Holy cow, terrible. People hate it. Yep, hate it. So where do we? <laughs> sure. Then, no, then if no, you can see the look on Joe's face, right? No, now. no. Well, I guess I guess what I'm, but I'm I'm back to my other point, which is that it goes back to what we talk about a lot too, which is just the crisis of confidence in institutions. I just don't know if anybody. When you see the gang who can't shoot straight in the house, yeah. you see the president who you know bumbling over himself and and and, and lacking coherence. And then you then you have these polls that reflect that kind of lack of confidence, and I I just don't know in whom we do have any kind of confidence, or is it is that where it's just sort of like anarchy? Where are we? The only confidence we have is that we're screwed up. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that have a lot of trust right now, but I I think part of that is just there's just a general, like I said, there's a general sense the world is off its axis that like we're off the rails. There's yeah. just you know there's there's sort of chaos and world on fire everywhere and and people look around and they say well who's who's got a plan to sort of deal with any of it you know what's interesting to me on this list you know Joe Biden was at 41% approval on the Israel Hamas situation but just started and he's only really done one thing which is make a speech which I actually thought from the from the White House the, the, right after it happened I the, the it first speech the not, first speech. not the one he delivered tonight I thought it was pretty good and yet people I just think it's reflective of that they just don't expect to have any confidence in yeah. it. Now, mm-hmm. you just raised what happened tonight. The president addressed the nation, and uh, this just happened, but I know you have a couple of clips. Let's uh, Maybe we should listen to the president. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We're facing an inflection point in history. One of those moments where the decisions we make today are going to determine the future for decades to come. That's what I'd like to talk with you about tonight. You know, earlier this morning, I returned from Israel. <clears throat> they tell me I'm the first American president to travel there during the war. I met with the prime minister and members of his cabinet. And most movingly, I met with Israelis who had personally lived through horrific horror of the attack by Hamas on the 7th of October. More than 1,300 people slaughtered in Israel, including at least 32 American citizens. Scores of innocents, from infants to the elderly grandparents, Israelis, Americans taken hostage. As I told the families of Americans being held captive by Hamas, we're pursuing every avenue to bring their loved ones home. As president, there is no higher priority for me than the safety of Americans held hostage. So that's Joe Biden. And throughout the speech, then, he, I find it really interesting that uh, he, rather than focusing strictly on Hamas and Israel and the crisis of the moment there, Takes the, the the initiative or whatever you want to call it to to conflate the Ukraine Russia uh, conflict, basically as if you let a dictator or any kind of force go in and take over another country because Hamas certainly they're they are sworn to eliminate Israel and 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 to kill uh, Jewish people and the, and a, and of course you're saying Vladimir Putin is out to destroy Ukraine because he says it doesn't have the right to exist in the first place. So he's putting those two things together and then you know the 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 ask at the end of this is is for this huge spending bill to be able to fund Israel, fund Ukraine, but the border wall. Yeah. And what else? 
That's it. There's some humanitarian in there, and then yeah. some Indo-Pacific money as well. Yeah. That, what I first of all is a tactical or technical matter. I thought the speech was rushed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. I in, in timing <laughs> or in delivery. Delivery. Um, I, he spoke far too quickly. I saw a few other people making this observation. It was it was rushing through it. Usually on a big speech of national importance, you you slow down. You know, you let people absorb the language. I thought the speech was a mess. I thought mm-hmm. it was disorganized. I thought he spent way too much time essentially denigrating, you know, America. Yeah. Like, you know, we have all this Islamophobia here. We had it after 9-11. Hey, buddy, that ain't the problem right now. You know what the problem is? People killing Israelis and harassing Jewish people and mm-hmm. anti-Semitism. That is the problem in this situation. Right. But you can tell how beholden he is to the far left flank. Because they want to both sides this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, look what happened. By the way, we got to talk about this for a second. I, I know we're talking about Biden, but just before I forget, the news media this week. <sighs> Lord have mercy. New York Times, yeah. Wall Street Journal, everybody. Israel bombs a hospital. They 500 li- dead. They got a Hamas press release. They literally just went on the word of the terrorists. That's how ready the mainstream media is to bring down like a ton of bricks on Israel when something actually does. This didn't even happen. Right. This was a failed rocket, whatever, from Hamas, landed in the parking lot. This 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 was entirely fabricated, yep. and they bought it because they are so, the people who work there are so ready to bury Israel. Well, the anti-Semitism so, right. in yeah. these media organizations, believe me, Real. It is also. It is, it's, uh, sorry, not right. just the media. I mean, members of Congress are still right. out there talking about it. Yes. Uh, Rashida Tlaib was, you know, not yeah. only inflating counts, but, you know, blaming Israel for it before anybody knew what had happened. There were some good actors in this. John Fetterman. I Someone. can't believe it. Wow. Yes. Yeah. You really? know, I'm praising John Fetterman. It's like all you know, the dude's wearing he put a, on suit, a suit now. Yeah. And now he's like, fine, I guess. <laughs> See what a like, Wearing a suit. Right. That doesn't make a big fo- difference. Focuses the mind. There were some good actors, and there have been some Democrats that have been good actors here, but there are. People in the media and on the far left who are so ready to engage in a propaganda campaign against Israel. There's no other way to describe it. It is raw anti-Semitism. Well, in addition, I think it's also sort of this it's 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 the era of uh, or as a symptom of what we see in the again, Trumpification of the way we look at things, it's, it has to do with what uniform color you're you're wearing rather than looking at the facts. And I think that Netanyahu Overall, is someone who is a as a target. I think you know he, he there there is legitimate criticism of some things that he has done in Israel before all this happened, but that does not justify uh, a Hamas terrorist attack, and it doesn't and, and it doesn't and and the fact that I think people find in the same way as people find a hard time if Trump did something well while he was president, there was no way. That there are some corners that could actually say, "Well, that was he handled that well. That was that was a good job." Because you just can't. It is it's against your core beliefs. So I think that's where this. I think this is part of it too. Is that if if there had been a a liberal government in Israel, don't you think the response would have been I, somewhat I, I different? I think this all goes way back before Trump. Oh, is, is it all I, Palestine I, and, I, no, and Hamas? I, well, first of all, I think there is raw anti-Semitism. Right. In in on college campuses. Well, that's just... I mean, the BDS the media, movement. Yeah. And on the American left. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there is absolute anti-Semitism. But yes, I do think the Netanyahu government does... Like, they want to they want to paint him out to be a monster. Right. 
And so they're just, and so it sort of already fits their worldview that the Jews are bad, and they're, mm-hmm. and also he's the worst one. So let's just jump on anything we can to try to fulfill our narrative. And and we saw, by the way, this was in the printed paper. You pick up the New York Times or the uh, Journal on Friday morning. It, I mean, they they ran. And then what happened? Millions of people all over the Arab world, the Muslim world, rioted and protested. They tried to take down an embassy. People like this this had real world implications. The failure of the press had real world implications here. And then in an all timer, the New York Times like correction or whatever was like, well, headlines shift after new information. (laughs) How about we effed up? Yep. Sorry. But no, no humility. And then it was ultimately they settled on, well, you know, it's hard to tell what happened. No, it's not really. The U.S. intelligence services, the president, the yep. Israelis, like everybody here that we're supposed to trust have all said this was not the IDF. Well, it's hard to tell. Could have been. Hard to tell. Biden did Got to hear up, both sides. Biden didn't bring it up in the speech on Thursday night, but it was very quick, like everything else. I mean, he was very quick saying, by the way, they didn't do it. And then he moved on. He, then he yeah. moved on. It would have been much better to say, as the president, we have a responsibility to tell you what happened here. This was this. I think it would have been far more. Yeah, if you want to find the clip, Kevin, I, I think it would have been extremely effective tonight had he said, and I want to make something clear right. to people in my own party. Mm-hmm. I'm the president and I'm the leader of the Democratic Party, and we are not going to harbor anti Semitism or uh, essentially misinformation about what's going on in the Middle East. Because that's what's happening. He should have admonished his own people. He should have admonished the news media. But he did not do that, which I found interesting. So uh, there's two clips. This is the first one from tonight. Like so many other, I'm heartbroken by the tragic loss of Palestinian life, including the explosion at the hospital in Gaza, which was not done by the Israelis. Like so many other... All right. There's the... Acknowledgement. That was in the speech tonight, but I also want to play what he said on the airplane yeah. coming oh. back from Israel. Gosh, this, was, the region, this? Uh, this was a terrible moment. We should not have hospital, sir. People all over the region um, are upset about the hospital and don't necessarily believe uh, you or the Israelis that they didn't have anything to do with it. Do you have a message to the people in the streets right now? Well, I can understand why in this circumstance they wouldn't believe. I can understand that. And, but uh, I would not... Notice I don't say things like that unless I have faith in the source from which I've gotten it. Our Defense Department says it's highly unlikely that it was Israelis, but if it had a different footprint and they've intercepted some anyway. And uh, so that's why, if you notice, I didn't say it first. I think I wanted to make sure that I knew. And look, I'm not suggesting that Hamas deliberately did it either. It's that old thing, gotta learn how to shoot straight. Gotta gotta learn learn how to shoot straight. I'll tell you what they did deliberately do, was engage in propaganda that everybody fell for. Well, the other issue is... Why does he say that? I mean... Why? If this were anyone else, if this were Trump saying that Hamas has to learn to shoot straight, well, shooting straight would mean shooting into Israel. Yes. Yes. Yes, like none of I this. Mean, just, just to be clear about this, I right. mean, it's just that's the first time I've heard it. I'm like, I can see that, and I'm not the president. Yeah, less than much. Here's here's you see uh, I did the Secretary the of State uh, Anthony Blinken hiding. behind him, just kind of like well, he was like he was like hiding around the corner there, yeah. like oh no. So here's what he said in his remarks tonight. That I, 
On October 7th, terror attacks have triggered deep scars and terrible memories in the Jewish community. Today, Jewish families worried about being targeted in school, wearing symbols of their faith, walking down the street, going out on their daily lives. I agree with that. But then he had to Muslim American community, the Arab American community, the Palestinian American community, and so many others are outraged. Here we go again with the Islamophobia. That this is not the issue here. No. That is not the issue. We we do right now, we we do not have tens of thousands of people marching around college campuses and in Dearborn, Michigan and in Lexington, Kentucky, uh essentially chanting death to the Jews. Uh, or we do have that. No, we, no, what, yeah, we, we what we don't have is people. It, it, right. it, it's like it's the opposite. And so, but why is that tolerated? I mean, that's that's, that's, that's yeah. my big question. Why, why, why are the why, Jews, why it, are they the only group that like if, if you had a rally and did and said that else. about any other group, yeah. right? And there there are people in the wake of something. Like what if in the wake of the George Floyd tragedy, mm-hmm. you had people ho- ten thousand people marching down the street, sort of insert George Floyd here where. Jewish people are today. I don't get it. People would have lost their minds, and instead, it's like, "Whoa, look at these guys!" You know, let's look. They're having a got to hear both sides. And there are people in the government who are concerned Biden's not going far enough. The State Department apparently is in uprising. People are resigning because he's, you know, standing up for Israel uh, tonight. An open letter from over four hundred staffers in Congress. Um, are saying their bosses aren't going far enough in calling for a ceasefire. They're being too supportive of Israel. Yeah. It's not just the news media. It's not just the, the universities. This runs deep. An anti-Israeli feeling. Yes. And that well, they're willing to literally excuse terrorism. It's not, it's, it's not just anti-Israeli, though. It's just one of the godfather conspiracy theories of this world is it's the Jews. Mm-hmm. It's this anti-Semitism, and it rears its head all the time for a long time. We, we, we can never seem to get rid of it. And what has been stunning, I think, is just how prevalent it is in the United States. You've got these college campuses. Think about this, the, this young generation and what they're learning. How are they learning <laughs> this outlook? Well, why are colleges hiring professors yes. who are teaching this in the first place? I don't understand this. I, I mean, is this this? Of course, I'm, I've been going on a... You know, dozens of college tours with my number, uh, my my second son, who's uh, I shouldn't call him number two son. That's <laughs> but my uh, and and you you it is a minefield out there of ideological uh, uh, purity tests. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And, yes. And, and, and I and I and I have to kind of as a parent, you have to kind of put up with it, mm-hmm. you know, because like, well, yeah, it's a, it's a college campus. It's, you're gonna you're gonna get that. You're gonna see that. But believe me, if if I had walked onto a campus with him and there was a anti-Jewish people rally going on, I could not obviously, in good conscience, allow my, you know, my son and and also pay money, yeah, to yeah. have him go there. But why is it tolerated? Great question. Why, why aren't governors of states, you know, of of of, of stepping in and saying this? We will not accept this. I mean, I, I great. I mean, look. We have free speech in this country, and you can go out and say hateful things, terrible, things. hateful things. But but it doesn't. It's all fe- fostered by the faculty. It, it, it just doesn't feel like anybody is willing to say, "Hey, that's hateful, and you shouldn't do that." Yes, you have the right to be hateful, but you. By the way, just so we are clear, you are hateful. Yeah, it's like people live in fear of calling out this specific right. hate, and I. 
I don't know, man. It's been, and then when you like pile on these other things, you know, this the the believing of the Hamas propaganda about the hospital thing, and it just you just realize that in in multiple corners of multiple institutions that really do have lots of influence on our national discourse, mm-hmm. there is a lot of anti-Israeli and anti-Jewish sentiment, and I. I don't know. I, I don't think people... By the way, for years, we have all in this room recognized the anti-Semitism that is, uh, abounds on the American political left. Mm-hmm. And for years, Democrats have said, oh, that's, it's, all, it's, it's all Trump, and it's all the right wing, and it's all, that's all Republicans. And now they're having to reckon with their own anti-Semitism in Congress. You've got members of Congress out openly engaging in disinformation because they hate Jewish people. And that's, I mean, let's just call it what it is. They hate Israel. They hate Jewish people. They are fueled by hate. I think there are partisan goggles that go on, too. And I think there's it's almost, almost like you have a get-out-of-jail-free card. Well, if I'm a Democrat, I can say these things because I'm on the right side of overall. Yeah. You know, and so as a result, it's like, well, no, I'm, 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 since I'm generally against discrimination, at least that's, that's my card— you know that I carry with me, then I'm allowed to say these other things. I think racism is is uh, is rampant in the Democratic Party as well. You know, and, and if you look at the way they they treat a lot of, frankly, Black Republican candidates. Yeah. You know, and it and you're allowed to say certain things that if 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 the tables were turned, and believe me, I don't think anybody should say certain things. Yeah. But if the tables were turned, it, there there would be there would be riots. Yeah. But somehow it's excusable because well you're not part of the team. Yeah. So I mean, we've seen it here in Kentucky in this governor's race. We see it all the time, man. It's disappointing. This is like another area of our. We no longer see it though in the uh, cartoonist and the uh, Herald Leader because he no longer works for them. No, yeah. so that's a good thing. It just there's it, so many corners of the world where things pop up. And you're like, wait, is is it everywhere? You know, it just and it lends mm-hmm. itself to this feeling that man, we maybe we are off the rails here. By the way, do you do you all agree with the linkage of? I mean, I, I see what he what he's trying to do is say there's essentially an axis of evil, mm-hmm. right? Iran actually saying it, yeah. Iran is backing Russia. Iran is backing Hamas. These these bad actors are are essentially on the same team, and then the de- the democratic free you know, democracy world has to be, and we lead that. Sure. Um, you know who he left out though is China. He did that, not mention that, that. That argument falls apart when you don't talk about China. The other thing we don't mention is we don't, we don't negotiate with terrorists as, and as far as hostages are concerned. It's like, well, I thought we just gave $6 billion to Iran to let some out. Yeah, we yeah. did. I mean, so I don't know how you, with a straight face, it's sort of like going back to the House again saying, yeah, they're going to vote against, they're voting with Democrats. Well, no, yeah. I mean, you just released, you just unfroze $6 billion as part of a quid pro quo to let hostages out. Yeah. And now Americans are being held hostage again yes. by the by Hamas, and we're going to not stop. Like, Why do you think they were motivated to do that? I, uh, I want to get these people back, of course, but I, I, there's something strange about that. I don't feel like we are collectively engaged in enough outrage that 30-something Americans died, yeah. right. killed by terrorism. By terrorism, and I mean— Look, I know I'm more on the hawkish end of this. Yeah. Man, I got to tell you, I think if I know the dominoes and the implications, but you kill 30 something Americans, right. there's got to be some impulse. It's like, hey, let's send some friggin' 
hardware over there mm-hmm. and let people know how displeased we are that you murdered 30-something of our citizens. Does the yeah. ethnic background of those citizens may perhaps discount their value? I, I mean, you got to ask. I mean, are they are they not worth avenging? And you know, you got Biden. You know, Biden started out fine on this. His his first speech from the White House was unequivocal. This this now you can tell, like the left has gotten to him, yep. and now he's trying to very much both sides this thing. And I, but what I'm not hearing is like, what are we going to do to avenge the deaths of these Americans? I know we got to get the hostages back, and look, maybe I'm being too rash, but. If a terrorist organization killed 30-something Americans. <laughs> which they did. I mean. Which, anywhere, yeah. like at any other time right. and under any other presidency, wouldn't you right. just imagine some immediate, like, we just have some people up. Right. Because they killed our people. We're defending our people. And I, I get it. It's a tinderbox, Middle East. Not, not trying to start, you know, Armageddon here or whatever. But, man, alive. 30 people. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And and that's why the Israelis, having lost over a thousand, are justified. You know, he tonight you can't be blinded by your your rage. Hmm. Well, but you but you have to understand the impulse to have rage, and the impulse to want to to do something about it, and to and to let the it, terrorists know we we will not tolerate this. That that impulse has to be indulged here. And Biden started there. Yeah, they have a right and a duty right. to defend yeah. them. And now I said, well, hang on. And I think Israel, <clears throat> because of their history, has by the international community has been forced to play with kid gloves sometimes. Yes, I mean they Big time. threw millions of leaflets out saying you've it is if you do not want to be in a war zone, it is time to leave. They gave twenty four hours notice to a lot of people, and that's I mean even the UN is calling on them saying that's not not good enough. But it's, it's surprising to me by the way they have not invaded. I assume it's just because the United States has asked them not to. Right. But they're but, go- they have to. But they ultimately, to, right. but ultimately, it, go- it goes back again to Hamas. Obviously, the, the, their their uh, their belief is that Israel does not have a right to exist, and they're go- they're not going to stop until Israel is, is destroyed. So the only way that if, for Israel to be able to exist is, in fact, for them to take these other actions. They've been putting up with and and coexisting, for lack of better words, you know, for years. But this long time in coming, I don't know how long it took them to actually plan this. It certainly it, it seemed to accelerate after the $6 billion went to Iran, and there was a little bit more perhaps some Hezbollah support. But my point being is if Israel needs to wipe out that portion to clear it out or to at least to clear out the terrorists from that portion you know, of, of uh, northern Gaza, I don't know how you can stop, how you can say you don't have a right to do that. Otherwise, if your very existence is at stake, yeah. otherwise we're going we're gonna to let you just stay right there and keep firing and launching raids from that position? I don't know how you can do that. This this speech, you know, I, I'm like sort of philosophically aligned, I think, <laughs> with where Biden is. Like, right. I want to... I want to support Israel. I want to support Ukraine. Like I, I'm, I'm, right. I'm on that. I want to believe what he wanted to say. I just, he's got to make a more effective case. You know, one of the reasons the public opinion tide is turning against our involvement in Ukraine is an absolute lack of public defense from Joe Biden. It's his responsibility to explain to the American people, all of us, why this is. Vi- and he just, he has been slow to this. Mm-hmm. He has failed at it. And I don't. I, if you read what he said tonight, there are paragraphs that are absolutely right on, in my opinion. But you just you have to take a beat and say, okay, I've got to stick this. I've got to stick this landing. And I just, 
I don't know. I, maybe I need to rewatch it. And I'll be honest, he lost me. He he used this phrasing twice in the speech. Well, I've been told I'm the first president to ever visit an active war zone. Yeah. And then the later, when when he, when he was talking about visiting Israel, and he said, "Well, I've been told I was the first president to ever, you know, visit Ukraine or visit ter- territory controlled by yeah. an enemy or something." He's so pleased with himself. It was like. Yeah. The, and is it even true? There's no reason to be patting yourself on the back right now. Now, ultimately, the best—I mean, yes—he should have made a more compelling case for the different arguments that we uh, dictated uh, needed to be done. But beyond that, what we're lacking here, also as a country, is back to my original question: is that where are the leaders? And this is a, this is the moment which I think uh, cries for a bipartisan response. This is what this is where you need to see congressional leaders from both sides siding with the president, having a joint event saying, we stand with Israel. Well, okay. Mitch McConnell, yep. I believe, is going to appear on the Sunday shows. Is that right? I believe he's doing Fox and maybe Face the Nation. But, of course, you don't have a House Speaker to do that. Well, I guess Jeffries uh, could as the Democrat leader, but he's not the Speaker of the House. Um, and so I, what I assume—look, I, I don't know anything— I'm I'm just I'm literally just spitballing. I mean, my assumption is is that basically Biden, McConnell, Schumer, and Jeffries are in some sort of alignment on Ukraine aid, Israel aid, border. Because to put the border in there, I think is a is it's a the nod. deal. That's yeah. the deal. And so maybe you're going to see, a, a you know, sort of a unified national response here. But it would be helpful if we had a House Speaker. But, there, of course, there's no guarantee the House Speaker would agree with any of this. Right. Because sending an emergency appropriations request to Congress can't doesn't really do anything when Congress can't do anything. Yeah, it's um, – we, we, but we do need – I mean, look, I'm sitting here saying, well, Biden should do a better job of selling – I mean, he's underwater – Maybe the American people just don't want to be sold. Maybe he's the wrong salesman. I mean, people Mm -hmm. don't want to be sold anything by him. I mean, he's our president, and he should be making cases for things, but maybe he's a spent force. I I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see where it goes. I I do think this. All this stuff going on around the world is terrible, and people are objectively looking at it on their TV saying, man, this is terrible. And then they are turning the TV off and turning around and going, you know what else is terrible? 8% 8% mortgages. That's right. You know what else is terrible? I cannot buy a house or a car right now. I cannot. Yeah. I, I literally, what is the American dream? Get a house and a car. Yep. Nobody can do it. Uh, and and they're like, you know, that's messed up. This is messed up. Everything that I am seeing is messed up. And it's like I got bandwidth to do what I can do. And, and I'm just, I don't know. I, there's a t- just so much anxiety about the state of affairs. Where does that leave the governor's race in Kentucky? Uh, I saw that the uh, governor, Andy Bashir kind of stole a page from um, President Biden's playbook and went on the picket line with the striking auto workers. Well, did, well, so somebody catch me up. Yeah. Did, did I read that he went to the picket line, but then he didn't want the media to in know? In secret, he went to the picket he, line. He like literally, he, so this gives you some window into how this is being viewed, by the way, I think. So he goes to the picket line, but he doesn't tell the press. He doesn't want anyone to know he went there. Yep. I, doesn't that strike you as strange, Joe? <laughs> I, first of all, I don't but think— But there, there are pictures think, provided by the I don't, unions to I don't the think, well, I mean, just, just from experience, and I don't know anything about this, this specific case, but generally speaking, this is a controlled event that is publicized— Rather than having the media there to cover it, my, my, in other words, you, you can you can distribute the photos, you know, after the fact. Okay. That way, 
Here, that, the, that way the media is not there to be able to get in the way and or ask to, questions. Or ask questions. Of him. Yeah. This way you, you you get the benefit of being able to say I side with the workers without any of the scrutiny that comes along okay. with if you show up. Here's my theory. This right. this governor is literally owned by the Ford Motor Company. Yep. They own him. And he did not want them to know he went down there. Yep. That's what oh, I was that right? I think he got scared because in the last debate, Daniel Cameron took a more pro-worker position. And Daniel did. He came out solidly for the workers. Solidly for the workers. And, of course, Bashir, Bashir tried to both sides it. Well, I think everybody just needs to do what they need to do. To Everybody comes out better. You know, it's like. We need a win-win. Okay. Thanks. Win-win-win. They win. <laughs> I win. That's the Michael Scott, uh, ooh, the win-win-win-win. <laughs> But, I mean, so much of his narrative is wrapped up in Ford. Yeah. Right. And so he, he's owned by Ford. He doesn't want the workers to think that. Mm-hmm. But the unions support the Democrats traditionally. It's it's interesting sort of scramble right now on on this. I mean, I assume union members are voting Democrats still, but it's not as much as it used to be. But I think for him, given given what he's claimed to have gotten done with Ford executives— to be out there on the picket line, it's it's gonna that's gonna cost him, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with with the Ford people. So, oh, bra- and, I, and he bought the sandwiches with his own money. Yeah. Oh, he did. He, that's what they they made yeah. a point to say that. I bring this up because because you, 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 you <laughs> mentioned one box of sandwiches. You mentioned mortgage rates at the highest level in twenty three years. Uh, obviously, inflation is still hot. You know, it's one thing for it to it's what's what's the old thing? It goes up like a balloon and goes down like a feather or whatever. I mean, in other words, this is a the point being is that the, is that the the, okay. the the interest rates are staying the old high. adage from Joe's oh, youth. Yeah. It's going it's going to be with us for a while, right? Meaning that, I, and I'm thinking about these workers, and I do feel for these workers, but not just the, these workers. I, I feel for workers who are working two or three jobs to try to make ends meet because the paycheck does not last anywhere near as long as it did just you know two or three years ago. So I, I guess you know whether I bring this up. Because of the sensitivity of in a governor's race, to what extent I, we know Joe Biden is taking it on the chin because the economy is horrible for real people. But to what extent does a governor take responsibility for that or take accountability for that? Great question, and I think I, I actually think the the correct way to look at it is does that governor's party take it on the chin? So I think it's pretty clear from the polling Biden is severely underwater on inflation, blamed for inflation. And he and I think his party's policies are out of favor with the American people. So, Kevin, this week, uh, really over the last few days, we've seen the Republicans uh, really try to turn national on this race, nationalizing it. You've got the outside groups, which I think we may have played last week, um, sort of starting to link Bashir and Biden. And this week, Daniel Cameron put this on the air. And Donald Trump is endorsing Attorney General Daniel Cameron in his run for governor of Kentucky. Mr. President, I hope you can tell that Kentucky is Trump country. I'm the only candidate endorsed by President Trump and the only candidate who stood up to Joe Biden. I fought the Biden agenda in court to defend Kentucky. Andy Bashir, he never will. As governor, I'll put Kentucky first, even when it's hard. So you have Cameron now, you know, basically saying this election's a choice. It's me and Trump or Bashir and Biden. And, you know, you you ask the question and the voters will render a verdict. Um, You know, Daniel's got, uh, you know, he's got a a couple of weeks left to make this case. And uh, he and his allies are, are, they seem to have come into some strategic alignment on it. 
the Bashir campaign is still very much trying to localize it and and uh, pretend like they'd never heard of a. In fact, at one of the debates this week, you know, Bashir was sort of mocking Cameron yeah. for uh, linking him to a Joe Biden, which you know he has endorsed Biden for re-election. Biden has sent him two hundred fifty thousand dollars for his right. campaign. They they are linked. So let me ask you a question: just of of political strategist here and electoral politics. So who are you trying to reach at this point in a campaign? Is it still, I always get the sense that it's the suburbs of the people that they, they could vote for either one. Is it a, is it, and I know it's, it's a, it's an old trope, but is, is it turnout we're talking about or is it trying to convince someone? Uh, I think some of both, um, you know, let's say that if it's obvious from the, from the Bashir campaign strategy that they think there are some Republicans who who may want to vote for Bashir. Mm-hmm. They have to. They have to win Republicans. And if you talk to Republicans, like there's a lot of Bashir mail dropping in Republican mailboxes. They they put a Republican on the air saying, "I'm a Republican, but I'm voting for Andy Bashir." So there's a reason. There's a strategy behind that. So if you're Cameron and you get to those people and say, "Look, this guy's with Biden. Mm-hmm. I'm with Trump. Who are you? Who, who? What team are you on?" That is a way to reel in. I think some Republicans, but there is some get out the vote, some turnout here because turnout in Kentucky governor's race is so low in 15. It was 30 percent in 19. It was 42 percent. So much better in 19, but still a lot of folks. And we do know there are lots of voters who tend to just be Trump magnets, you know, Mm -hmm. or or Trump paperclips and Trump's the magnet, whatever. (laughs) And so if you can sort of bring him into it and like, okay. Trump, that's the guy. So giving people like me, though. But also on Bashir, Bashir, same thing. The reason they're going so heavy on abortion, yes, it is some persuasion, I think, to some, you know, of the the sort of old line, center-right, suburban Republican base. But it's also get out to vote for infrequent voting, young, female, urban Mm -hmm. women, you know, who probably model out as Democrats, but they don't vote in a lot of elections. But if you can get them excited about an issue— so both parties, I think you see like, OK, we got some infrequent voters, but maybe they're motivated by abortion or maybe they're motivated by Donald Trump. And if we can alter the margins a little bit, mm-hmm. changes the equation for us. Do we have and I know you're not just sitting there with all the polls right just in front of you, but do we know what the latest Trump ratings are in Kentucky? Uh, I have seen some polling uh, this year and, and lately on Kentucky and Although his personal image is is not as good as it used to be in my recollection, so it's 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 certainly you know it's just it's not as good as it used to be. But when you compare him to Biden, oh yeah, and then you do head to head trial heats, he's destroying Biden. I mean, for whatever altitude Trump has lost, Joe Biden, Joe Biden is more unpopular right now than Barack Obama ever thought about being in Kentucky. And we always thought and of huge. We always thought of Obama as being you know, pretty unpopular here, right? It Biden. <laughs> He is plumbing the depths of how low you can go. I mean, under 30%. I mean, that's, dude, that's low. We are less than three weeks from Election Day in Kentucky. Typically, it seems to be from previous uh, election cycles, especially with the the numbers the way they are, just voter registration and the, the way the state is tilting, generally speaking. You would expect, or I would expect, this to tighten. This is this is the time of the, this is when the race begins, regardless of whatever polls or other kind of narratives have been kind of spun out there in the world. You would think at this point is when chickens are coming home to roost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Um, well, one thing I think is is true in an off year race is there are tons of people who will vote 
that legitimately have not paid much attention to right. it, and probably in both parties. Yeah, you know, I'm sure both campaigns are frustrated with like, wow, why are people paying attention? You know, run all these ads and run around the state. So I do think the more, the later you get, the more in focus it comes. And people have got to start actually making a decision. I do think when you're the incumbent party, most of your people come home early. Mm. And when you're the challenger party, they come home late, I think. And so I do think that Cameron's probably experiencing some pickup among Republicans right now as they kind of sort of get into the shirts and skins here a little bit. And it wouldn't shock me. You know, we haven't seen a ton of polling releasing this race. And what came out was just hot garbage. Emerson. Yeah. Give me a friggin' break. Was that? It was Emerson, right? Yeah, and um, yeah, and we we Fox fifty six. By the we, way, we, we like, like said them nice, nice on the pod. I mean, garbage, right? But but anyway, my my point, Joe, is we haven't seen a ton of. It wouldn't shock me if you saw a group, an organization, or just a polling firm release a poll saying, "Hey, we just polled Kentucky, and here's and and you saw a much closer race than some of the garbage that we've seen." I my general view is is that. You know, both of these guys are probably destined to get at least forty-eight percent of the vote, and right. they're fighting over the last four. You know, <laughs> that seems to me. To, I mean, that was that was, I think, the way that most of us look, looked at this going in. Yeah, and we go through all this drama, and that's pretty much the way that it all plays out. I yeah. think beyond that, and I know, I think you guys have already may have uh, talked about this in a previous podcast in my long absence. Um, but bear in mind that Kentucky election polling in Kentucky for more than a decade, yeah, yeah, is just bad. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why we keep. I mean, the, the only the only reason why I think that you look at polling is not as a number, not as a predictor. The only way I will look at it as is is a trend. Yeah, is to say how has how, if you can look look at the same polling with the same methodology that is committed to doing. I don't know, five or six horse race type polls over the course of time, and then you look to see how it's moved. That, to me, is the only one that I would even look at. I wouldn't trust the numbers in terms of what the margins are, but I would look at the movement as being indicative generally of the way a race is going. Yeah, and I think Scott always is good at uh, telling people, don't just look at one poll. That's, a, at best, a flash in the pan. Yeah, aggregate them all together. Uh, and, we, yeah, we did talk about that, Joe. Uh, thanks thanks for you know, re- reiterating <laughs> our conversation. What I want to ask you about is um, we're, we're in the middle of debate season. Bashir and Daniel have had two good debates together, but we got three more. I think like two, one this, one on Saturday and one on Monday. Like Saturday, Saturday is the WLKY okay, well, here in Louisville, uh, right? So that'll be in the Louisville media market. And then what else? Monday is, out is there? KET, Kate with Renee Shaw, right? Yep. And I think there's one more in Lexington. Is it the WKYT? Right. Bill Bryant, maybe. Yeah, is that what? So. Yeah. Um, but they're coming up in quick succession. They are. So if you if you're someone who wants to see them. Wants to kick the tires on both of them at the same time, then uh, you can do that. Uh, you know, the first two debates were very different. The Paducah debate was was sort of parochial, you know, regional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the Link NKY debate at NKU, which had media partners in different markets, was more, I think, statewide in nature. Yeah, and more rapid fire too. He had shorter time amounts. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting to see both of their styles. I thought I thought uh, Bashir, um, he came out. Uh, relatively aggressive in the second one. Yes, he, he did. You know, every every sort of question had a had an attack. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so he seems genuinely. You know, I think you get this with incumbents. Like they seem genuinely offended that anyone would dare question their 
right. you know, like their actions or their, and so it like angers them. And so you well, that, that's it. his whole line is that uh, anything, anytime you criticize me, you're just trying to be dis, you know, division, disunion. How, why can't everybody just know how great I am? Yeah, I, I've, I, you know, as a campaign operative, you always ask yourself how many people are watching this. Yeah, and if of the people who are watching, how many people are have already made up their mind versus right. Not now, and some of what you get out of it is just the post debate coverage. I don't know. What do you? I mean, you used to you you uh you moderated some debates. You did, did you did you did one in fifteen, right? Matt Bevan and Jack Conway and Drew Curtis. Good memory at Bellerman. I did. Uh huh. And so you you've been a moderate. I mean, what what was your view on that? Well, first of all, I think my view of it was skewed because as a reporter on local broadcast television, you believe that everyone is watching local broadcast television. And the number of people that I would run into at parties, whatever else, or like friends of you know friends, you go somewhere and they and they and they always kind of the, the response was always, I don't really watch TV, I don't watch local TV, and that's that's fine. I mean, that's that's you don't need to tell me that, but, that, I mean, <laughs> but whatever. Just my life's work, but I guess <laughs> but, that's fine. But that's fine. But what I'm saying, so I think first of all, I'm skewed in terms of who is paying attention. Now that I've been out of it for eight years. Um, I don't. I. I. I'm. I. I still try to watch as often as I can. As far as like the coverage, I just don't know anyone who's really tracking this very closely, other than you guys, other than the people who are really into politics. It, it's. It's not coming up in conversations that I have with people outside this circle. Yeah, it's not something of of a great interest. And that was my question for you: is going to be, is there a way to track? Is there a way to, to well, find out can... if what people are? I mean, if what are you thinking? I mean, I would, I would like to, I would I'd love to have a poll taken if we believed in polls, just to say, ask six hundred people in Kentucky, what are you thinking about today? <laughs> and maybe the Roman Empire would come up more than anything else. You know, but. Well, in a, in a poll, you you um you do ask certain questions like you know, and they're sort of intensity questions. Uh-huh. You know how how much are you thinking about this race, or how excited are you to vote in this race? So you, there are certain questions designed to get at intensity. And of course, there are open-ended questions like, "What are the top issues to you?" You know, what's your, you know, and then there are also, and, and this is where we get the the closing thing on this podcast is there's also the seen, read, and heard. Have you seen, read, or heard something about Daniel Cameron or Andy Bashir? If so, did it make you like them more? Did it make you dislike them more? Was it neutral? And so you, there are questions like that to sort of gauge what you're what you're looking at. I, I agree with you. I don't have a ton of uh, civilians, non-political combatants, saying, "Boy, did you see that debate the other night?" Like, I right. doesn't tend to come up a lot, and 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 because of that, then it causes me to wonder, like, why are we going through all this? Well, no, I mean we're going through it because it's like, but but it's like, are, you know, is is that indicative of what turnout is going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if if people aren't paying a lick of attention to this in late October, does that mean they they're just going to forget to vote? I, I don't know. I don't. I truly don't know. I'm sort of flummoxed by it. That's where maybe we're special interests, or if you have a certain axe to grind, whether it's you know the the, the myriad issues that we've heard about in the last year. I think inflation would be a big one, but there's other ones that are more like the abortion issue, for instance, that people just are fired up one way or the other. Yeah, it, uh, and it could be that you get some people turning out to try to treat it like you know what I just want to register my displeasure. Mm-hmm. So I'm mad at Joe Biden. And I'm mad about inflation, so I'm going to vote against his guy. I'm mad about abortion, so I'm going to vote against the Republicans. Or I'm mad about, uh, you know, what... And so you sort of just, you, you kind of use it as an issue referendum. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I, I, I think I think there are a lot of political professionals who are trying to figure out: is this a fifteen or is this a nineteen in terms of overall turnout? And there's a lot of confusion. And this is where I think the protracted election comes into play because you have a longer period of time to drive people to the polls or convince them to fill out their absentee ballots yeah. versus you have to do this on this one day. Yeah. And I think that I think you have, I mean, you can, and obviously you guys know the way that turnout or, or you know, the elections campaigns work is you have that list and you're keeping track of who showed up and you can go back out and say, Hey, you haven't been there yet. So to me, this is going to be a, a as much of a get out the vote operational logistics battle as it is hearts and minds. Quick note on the other races going on. Attorney General candidate Russell Coleman is on the air. Yep. Uh, he was no, the, fir- the first down ballot uh, candidate up. Have we played it? Did we play it on here? Grab it, Kevin. All right. So we'll play Russell. Uh, and then um, I believe my, uh, I believe Mike Adams is going to go on the air. Jonathan Shell's on the air. Jonathan Shell is on the air. Uh, which we could play if you want. Uh, I've not seen the Democrats yet, although I heard a rumor that Buddy Wheatley uh, running against Mike Adams might be going on there. Who we got there first? We got Russell. He's carried a badge and a gun, volunteered to fight terrorists overseas, and will put violent criminals behind bars and keep them there. Russell Coleman for Attorney General. A law and order conservative, Coleman has the experience to keep our families safe from crime, drugs, and federal overreach. That's why he's endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police. To protect and serve Kentucky, choose Russell Coleman for Attorney General. So there's Russell. Man, that music is Marshall really good. Dillon. I got Ru- <laughs> Wide Earp. I gotta tell you. I love it. It's I gotta perfect. Tell you, I I Russell Coleman is a very impressive man. He's got the resume, he, man. I, I Well, I, he's the most qualified person to ever run for the office. It it, it is so it is such I'll just say from a, a, a less being involved as a casual observer, just a refreshing person. Yeah. Just yeah. somebody who's genuine, who and and He's interested in the job, you know. <laughs> and he has a law license in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, which his opponent does not. Doesn't. Which is insane to me still that that is still the case. Who else we got? Jonathan? Jonathan Shell. <clears throat> Jonathan Shell, a farmer, fighter, and family man with the experience to lead. There's no quit in Jonathan Shell. To stop Biden and save Kentucky, Frankfurt needs fighters who are tough as shell. I'd be honored <laughs> to have your vote. Stop Biden, save Kentucky. The greatest, you know, I don't think people put a ton of thought into the down ballot votes. So if you're going to leave them with one thought, stop Biden, save Kentucky. And people are going around saying tough as shell. Like I'm, tough I, as I'm shell. seeing like media people saying that. Tough I think as shell. Permeated. Jonathan also, uh, beyond just being a, first of all, a, a, a real farmer and yes, a, uh, a real fighter. And a real family oh. man. <laughs> I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> First of all, he's, he is a, he's, he's wicked smart. Yeah. Uh, and just as a tactician and, and, and just figuring these things out. But, but the other thing is, uh, Scott, to whatever extent, whoever is behind these ads, um, the women I talk to just say, wow, he's, he's something else. <laughs> they, he's, they, they think that they, 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 you've painted him out to be just a marquee hero here, man. It's, it's, it's very impressive. He's good. He's a, yeah. uh, um, he's, he's going to be all right in his race. And, you know, he had a tough primary, that, mm-hmm. that, that right. primary with Richard Heath. And so he's kind of reprising 
his message from the primary, which I think works just fine here for the general. I think his opponent is manifestly less qualified. I think that about Russell's race. I think oh, yeah. that about Mike's race. Oh, yeah. I think that. I mean, that's the thing about the Republican ticket. We legitimately have, oh, by far, head and shoulders above the rest, the most qualified ticket in these constitutional offices. And people, I think people know it, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, yeah. to the extent that they look at, they, it's just, you look at Russell, you look at Mike, you look at Allison, like you said, I mean, these are the literal best people for the job. And that was good for the party to to do that. So I, I feel like most of these races are going pretty well. Oh, yeah. For the, for the Republicans. Yeah. A little steam right here before we wrap, uh, wrap up this evening, uh, gentlemen. It's uh, 1042 on a Thursday night, October 19th. Uh, still no speaker, but... <laughs> I came from, um, I, and I probably am repeating myself in my previous theme right here, but I, I, I just came tonight from the Fraser History Museum downtown with my friend Rachel Platt, and uh, we were interviewing the uh, broadcast and print journalism Hall of Famer Byron Crawford, who has a new book out, The Back Page, and it's just a great walk down memory lane. Because old friends from TV days and radio days and Boy, his voice just still kills it. And you ran into Jack Fox, Scott. Remember Jack Fox? I do remember Jack Fox. And Jack Fox, Kevin, you know what he's famous for today. Yeah. Now, he's a longtime broadcast guy. Yeah. But he has perfected the art of, and his company and his voice is the one you hear across the world saying, the moving sidewalk is ending. <laughs> That's him. That's him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. We should get him. Maybe maybe we refresh Actually, the pod. Yeah, I was going to say, it works with all this. Yeah. Why are we not using Jack Fox? The podcast is did, ending. Did you oh. hear um, Andy <laughs> Bashir gave us a shout out in his debate? He said we're not gonna we're we're not gonna be flyover country anymore. He did. He did. I think this irks him that we called this podcast flyover. He, I think he, so. he has talked about it before. Yeah. I mean, it's not a pejorative. It just happens to be where we are. I mean, to me, it's a pejorative against the liberal elites who think of it, look down their nose at us. Right. That's why we named it the what we did. Yeah. Man. I wasn't sure what the name was. <laughs> oh, we it's written there on on the side. You got anything for us, Scott? Other than the the the, the elbows you've been uh, rubbing up there in DC. Yeah. Um, I I started a new Audible book, and it's been, it was written by a broadcaster and a Kentuckian, NPR's Steve Inskeep. Cool. He's a Kentuckian. Yes. Where is Steve Inskeep from? I'm pretty sure he's from Moorhead. Google that. We'll, we'll do a little fact. Pretty sure he. I'm pretty sure he is up from up that way. But anyway, he has written a book called Differ We Must, How Lincoln Succeeded in a Divided America. And each uh, chapter is about an interaction that Lincoln had with a person, some you've heard of, maybe some you haven't. And in some cases, the people Lincoln disagreed with, in some cases he agreed with them, in some cases, you know, they were they were from different backgrounds or whatever. And, and Inskeep kind of talks about how Lincoln used these interactions to his political advantage over the course of his life and through his presidency. It's, but the best part about it is Steve Inskeep, who is a, a terrific broadcaster, he, he did his own Audible. Oh, of course. And so when you're li- it's, like, it's like a perfect read for Audible because Steve is such a good— so it's like a case where the author is the perfect reader for his own material. So slight fact check. He was born and raised in Carmel, Indiana, but he went to Moorhead State University. Okay, there you go. And had his first radio job at as a Mo- sportscaster on Moorhead Radio. There you is go. Right. So I, I knew it was something like that. I'm trying to imagine a sports broadcast from Steve Inskeep, though. It'd be pretty dry. 
<laughs> you know what? I you know I do NPR with him occasionally. Yeah. I should see if he'll come on. It'd be great because I would love. You know, we're all suckers for Lincoln material here. Right. I would love to, to um, sort of find out from him how he arrived at these. You know, the research on these. Inter- if you listen to it. Uh, the, the research is really good, and and some of these interactions from Lincoln's pre-presidential life, and and a lot of the um, there's a lot of like political mechanics in there about what was going on during some of these election cycles before Lincoln became president, when the Republican Party was just beginning, mm-hmm. the Senate race. It's really fast. If you're kind of a political junkie and you love Lincoln and you sort of love like. The, the the little triangulation that goes on in campaigns, Steve has captured it. Anyway, I'm still cool. I'm still moving through it, but highly recommend. Very cool. Uh, mine is a, a a work in progress. Like many Kentuckians this time of year, I got a political yard sign, brought it home. Uh, we live in an HOA that we don't think allows many yard signs, so we put it in our window instead of in our yard. Now the community Facebook group is a flutter. Uh, people complaining about some yard signs, some people saying we've been reported to a management company. So I'm waiting. Wait a minute. Hold I, on. I'm waiting for the letter in my mailbox telling me to remove my, my from sign. A, from a window? It's in the window. Somebody else has theirs in the yard. I've got mine in my window. I'm 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 ready to fight this one a little bit. Um, so I mean, I, I first of all, I think the ban on yard signs is unconstitutional, much like the Speaker Pro Tem. I don't think that's <laughs> unconstitutional. But, Did, could you ask Nancy Pelosi about this when you see her Nancy, next? Could, can Kevin Grout put a yard sign in your in your speaker emerita opinion yeah uh but you have it in your window in my window technically inside my house well what if you put like another sign in your window that's like you know trick or treat i love puppies e- yes or whatever would that yeah. would that be against the rules do they allow halloween decorations lots of halloween decorations i sent you guys the pictures of all the inflatables um yeah out and about well first of all if you're allowing inflatables in your yard there there's and clearly you, no one cares about property values you have you have no <laughs> hey i have inflatables <laughs> i know you do i know you do <laughs> no seriously if you allow inflatables in your hoa yep then shut up about political signs. I mean, that, that's what it boils down to. I fully believe that. I'm, I'm. If this thing arrives in my mailbox, my wife is gonna have to hold me back. I'm, I'm. A- I love that on a future episode of Flyover Country, Kevin will be reporting from the Supreme Court, <laughs> where he's pleading his case to Brett Kavanaugh and Clarence Thomas. I Your got, Honor. I, <laughs> I think they'd be on my side. Do we know any good lawyers? Uh, uh, Pam Stevenson will have some extra time uh, after November, right? Yeah. Well, the case cannot originate in Kentucky because ah. that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Crimes. Okay. You can go to Carmel, Indiana with uh, Stephen Skeep. All right. <laughs> for Scott and for Kevin, I'm Joe. And this has been uh, Flyover Country. Yep. With Scott. <laughs> Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mm-hmm.